The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Sirius XM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. If music helps form the cultural fabric of a society, it's easy to argue that Coldplay has made its mark. Considered by many to be the leading band of the 21st century, its hooks and melodies have helped define a generation of music listeners and inspired others from all walks of life. From John Mayer to Kanye West to Bono of U2. From Super Bowl halftime shows to movie soundtracks, the band has crossed the spectrum of age, gender, and nationality. Its Instagram account boasts 15 million followers globally. And its launch of the new hit single, My Universe, with Korean band BTS, broke YouTube when it first aired earlier this year, topping 10 million views on the first day. There's no sign of slowing. And this week, Coldplay returns to the stage for the first time in more than four years, starting its tour in Costa Rica March 18th. Last time the band toured, it spent 20 months on the road, with 122 shows selling 5.4 million tickets. Today, in the second part of our two-part interview with bass player Guy Berryman, he talks about how far the band has come in the last 20 years, the ability to stay together, to remain friends, and to create something that has helped form the culture of society. I continue my conversation with Guy first asking about one of his other passions, fashion, and the launch of applied art forms. In this introspective look at the band, his own career, his ambitions, and the longevity of Coldplay, Guy Berryman shares a unique and not often shared vision of his world. He also talks about the automotive legends with whom he'd most like to have dinner with. Guy Berryman, bass player, automotive lover, passionate about design and focused on culture as much as he is cars. I'm Guy Berryman and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. How about your clothing line, Applied Art Forms? Sure. You've said before that uh, Applied Art Forms is not about saying, okay, I want to exit this brand in five years and make 25 gazillion pounds. That's not the goal. <laughs> what's the goal? That's of, not the goal. What's the goal well, of Applied it, Art Forms? Well, it's um well it's strange because uh, the journey um, it, it sort of it sort of stemmed from the road rat actually because I, I was kind of tasked to to produce or to come up with some some designs for uh for merchandise for the magazine and the trouble with merchandise is it's it's always a secondary product to something else so you have a brand and then you make merch and um, that's just not how my brain works. So I don't want to make kind of, you know, cheap branded T-shirts. So um, I, I just kind of decided, okay, I, I, I don't want to make merch. Um, I, I'm not really interested in doing something. I'd rather do something much uh, from, from a much more um, uh, ground up uh, kind of way uh, where the products that I'm designing are the main thing, not the secondary thing. Mm. Um and it was really about creating a vehicle for me to engage with some of those um, earlier disciplines um, 
I had when I was studying engineering and architecture. Um, now, it's strange that it's ended up being uh, a fashion label, you know, as opposed to, you know, going and designing a building or designing a chair or something. Uh, but one of the things which I've became a passionate collector of um, over the last 10 or 15 years or so is, is vintage um, military garments and utilitarian garments and denims and workwear. Um, and so I've been kind of amassing quite a big uh, archive of, of, of pieces over the years. And at some point you're kind of watching these rails of clothing grow and get bigger and bigger. And I'm like, well, what am I doing? What, what am I doing with all of this stuff? And it struck me what I was looking at was basically a, uh, a library of, of ideas which were ripe for reinterpretation or you know taking one idea from one jacket and combining it with a great detail from another jacket and just making new things from from, from this kind of inspiration this kind of room full of inspiring pieces which i which i had so it allowed me to essentially embark upon a process of design uh, and manufacture um and so really applied art forms is an investment in myself. It's allowing me to express myself in a way which I perhaps would have done had I not been um, lucky enough to have, you know, formed the band, which became uh, very successful over the last 20 years or so. Um, and I have, to, I have to say it feels very, uh, it feels very good to me that I'm able to, channel this creativity into something now because it's a very different process from making music um in a in a very collaborative way you know this is a singular um design process which which i'm allowed to um focus on um and i'm extremely proud of applied art forms i think we've i think we've created exceptional garments and we're building a nice community around the brand um, and it, and it's growing and growing all the time. Um, is it a hard so, business to be in? Um, I think it is hard. I think making nice things, making a, you know, for me, making a great magazine is not the biggest challenge to the road rat or making a great jacket is not the biggest challenge in, um, in applied art forms. I think it's the same thing for most businesses is just telling the world that you exist and selling, you know, product to people or engaging with people enough where they actually want to buy something from you. Um, that is the biggest challenge. And there's just, there's no magic wand that you can wave to make that happen. Um, you know, in the same way as there's great singers and songwriters and bands out there that have just never been lucky enough to get a break because that is just the hard, that is the hardest part about any business or any creative process, I think is, is the whole sales and marketing um, thing that you have to get into. And of course, these in this day and age, it's all about Facebook, digital marketing, targeted ads, and all of this stuff I never had to even think about before I got involved in any of these projects. Um, and it chews up a lot of time and it distracts from the, from the, the you know, the original um, idea, which was to be creative and to make things. What, what other, you have to do it. Yeah, you're involved in so many different creative ventures. What other creative ventures could you be involved in in the future? What else are you interested in? 
Um, I think with the band and with the road rat and with applied art forms, it would be, um, it wouldn't be sensible to, to take anything else on. You're busy enough. Um, <laughs> I, I have a family, I have children <laughs> and, uh, you know, e each one of these projects is, um, particularly, um, in intensive time-wise. I mean, thankfully, um, you know, we, the team at the road route are great and I, and I get to do some kind of nice things towards the end of the uh, production process and, and help with the cover and just kind of push some layouts and in at the end, you know, Mikey, Mikey's really doing the, uh, the, the heavy lifting on that project. Um, the band is obviously a collaboration, um, applied art forms is, is different because it's really, I, I kind of have to be in control of everything. You know, that's that really is my, my baby. Um, um, and of course, you know, you end up doing things that, that you've never had to think about, you know, it's just, you know, we have a web shop, you can buy things uh, from our website, um, and, and we will send it to you. Sounds simple, right? But you know, when you make a web shop and then you have to get a, um, somebody who's going to pick up your goods and dist distribute them for you to the other side of the world, you know, their computer system has to speak to your computer system. And of course that that's a whole universe of complication and uh, stress in itself, you know, just getting everything talking to each other. So it's been an eye opener. It sounds, sounds like a ton of effort, right? <laughs> it's a, you, you have a notion is, to design there are hurdles, there are challenges. Yeah. I, you know, I like challenges and their challenges are there to be overcome. And, um, you, I, I think you just have to stay true and you have to remember the, the, the reason why you're doing things sometimes, because it's, it's easy to get distracted and, uh, and to forget. Um, but, but I love everything that I do. I'm so, you know, I'm so lucky to be able to explore and engage in all of these different, uh, fields. Um, and it just makes me happy. I just, I, I need to be making things and creating things and designing things and playing music with the band. Um, I, I get very, uh, I, you know, and if I'm not doing that, I just kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm difficult. At, I'm, I find it very hard to switch off. You know, I, I'm kind of, uh, I'm always working in my mind in one way, shape or form. When, when we go back to the band for a moment um, and you think about that, that moment that you just crystallized, which is the opportunity to go from unnoticed to noticed, do you reflect back on those times? Do you find yourself reflecting back and saying, well, at this moment, this is when we knew that our life had changed and maybe it was the original record deal or maybe it was yellow or maybe it was uh, coming out with a rush of blood to the head. But is there a moment that, that crystallizes Coldplay's success for you? I think there's a few moments um, which, which would uh, be significant in our careers. Um, I mean, I have to say, though, so, some of the most magical memories I have are, are the times before we'd, we'd gotten any breaks. And we were four, you know, we were four guys, you know, writing songs in a, in a bedroom flat in, uh, in Camden. And, and it was just a dream. Um, that, that we were working towards. And of course, there's no, there's no guarantees that you're going to get where you would like to be, but we, we were determined. Um, and we, and we just kind of felt if we, if we do this thing and we write songs and we get our own shows and we, um, and we just keep trying, uh, then what's stopping us? You know, we had a collective belief within us. We all supported each other. I mean, that's the beauty of collaboration is, um, 
you can lean on each other to get through this kind of phase. Um, but but I, I suppose the moments which really, you know, we got a record deal from Parlophone, which was significant. Um, and they gave us some money to, to do some recording and we did some recording and it didn't turn out great. And, you know, back then there was a bit more money in the music industry, uh, I think, than there is now. And so they said, look, don't worry about it. This hasn't quite worked out in this studio with this producer. So we're going to try you somewhere else. Um, and it worked out. We made our first album, which has the song Yellow on it. Um, and then that was taken to radio and it became a hit. And of course, you know, I think that was probably the biggest or most pivotal point in our career in terms of going from a band who some people knew and liked to being a band that the whole country was listening to on, on national radio. Is that surreal when someone's it is surreal. singing the whole thing, the whole, the whole journey is surreal. I mean, I can't, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend it's, 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 it's the kind of stuff that you, you, you dream of, uh, you know, yeah. as a kid. Okay. I want to, okay, everyone wants to be in a band, but of course, you know, not, not everyone's going to make it. It's like everyone wants to be a racing driver in formula one. Well, there's only 20 seats. <laughs> so you're not, you're not all going to get there. Um, but it, it is surreal. You know, it feels I feel like I've lived sometimes I feel like I've had 10 lifetimes already yeah just because we've done so much together as a, as a group when well, when you were invited in 2002 to headline Glastonbury for the first time right after a rush of blood to the head came out it had to have been a career highlight and a moment almost in musical folklore fact that you know for the for the first you know over the previous decade you're just striving 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 and then all of a sudden you're hitting the stage at that moment at glastonbury yeah it was insane i mean we we headlined glastonbury before we'd even released our second album uh and so we only had one album's worth of songs that people had heard and the rest of the songs in that set were from our new album which hadn't been released yet so um we were playing people songs they'd never heard before um mm. or very few people had heard before um and it was amazing you know it was just such an incredible time it's it was also during that show we had and i didn't know this was going to happen we were playing a song called clocks
and it was at night and it was dark in Glastonbury and you know it's a lot of people standing in front of the main stage I think maybe it's like a hundred thousand people maybe a little less and when we played clocks this huge laser uh, appeared from the back of the stage uh, and it fanned out across the audience and it kind of went up and it went down and I'd never seen anything like it nobody told me we had this laser um, so I remember just standing on the stage, looking up at this kind of laser, which kind of was just sweeping across the top of my head, um, just being mesmerized by this thing. Um, so that certainly that Glastonbury was a was you know after Yellow becoming um, popular on the radio, I think that that was definitely a a big moment for us in our career. So let's talk a little bit about the music, um, if you don't mind, because I, I feel, I mean, this show is Cars and Culture. I feel that Coldplay has formed culture around the world, especially uh, as, you know, uh, from, a, from a financial standpoint, it's, I, I, I think, the, the biggest grossing band of the 21st century, if you can take that in for a moment, <laughs> by certain measurements. Well, look, stuff like that sounds great, but... Um... I think all of us in the band, we always feel like we're just kind of absolute failures and we all, and we need to try harder. <laughs> I think that's been our kind of, that's been our mantra. Um, Chris since, has been on record for saying that many times. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, it's true. You know, it's, it's very difficult to, to go back and, uh, and listen to, um, if I listen to old, old albums that, that we've released, I, I can't listen to them and enjoy them because I, I listen to the mixes, I listen to the production, I listen to the parts, and I'm like, ah, we, I, I, I'd like to change that. I, I do that differently, or you know, I, I, I go in and start messing around with it because it, you know it's a strange thing when you get to a point and you finish an album and you run out of time and and you've got pressure to kind of release something that's kind of like well you 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 stop something in its tracks but i think if it was left to our own devices we'd be messing around with these things forever (laughs) you know and 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 the producer would be saying let's go we got to get this out (laughs) exactly exactly what do you Um, like what do you like that you've done um well, that's a tricky question. Um, uh, it's oof, that's a hard question to answer because you know our songs. You know, it's like saying, "What's your?" You know, you've got four kids. Which one's your favorite child? You know, you you. you and of course, if there's, and it's also a difficult thing to comment on because, and I've done it in the past. If somebody, if I make a comment about a certain song. Uh, that I don't like it so much for one reason or another, it disappoints a whole bunch of people who have who, 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 whose favorite song is that one. It just kind of that's why it. I phrased so it I, differently. I, I, you, you know, I learned I learned to uh, I, I've learned to, to kind of keep um, keep my mouth shut on such questions. <laughs> Understood, but the ba- the the baseline on. The Scientist has got to be something you're awfully proud of. say there was anything wildly special about that that particular bass line okay. it's kind of an eight note chug <laughs> you know there's nothing you know i, I the, the kind of um, music i grew up listening to and, and um 
which made me want to be a bass player was you know funk and soul and motown and um i never wanted to be a rock bass player just playing you know playing a simple eight note rhythm um but needs must sometimes and uh and, and that's definitely one of those uh kind of just very simple you know eight eight eighth note chugs as I like to call it. An eight-note chug. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. L- let's, um, let's talk about uh, venues. Do you have a favorite music venue? Or, or what's the best music venue for you to play? You know, I, I think we've done so many different kinds of tours since we started. You know, when we started playing our f- first shows, they were really in, uh, in Camden Town in London. Um, there's a network of pubs which have rooms behind the bar uh, where bands play live. And these rooms might hold between 50 and 150 people, so very small. Um, and we've worked our way up through uh, small theatres um, into, uh, into arenas. We've done tours across what they call the sheds in America, which are these kind of half indoor, mm-hmm. half outdoor venues. Uh, and of course, now we play in um, amazing stadiums. Um, uh, and I've got great memories of all of those different kinds of venues. They're, they're all special uh, for different reasons. It's it's difficult to beat a stadium such as, uh, for instance, the Stade de France in Paris, mm. which is, I think, holds more than 80,000 people at a concert that's a pretty special thing to be able to do yeah. that was um, uh, that was fairly prominent I, I, you on, know on once it. you've once you've done that it's difficult to then go back into those little pubs in Camden <laughs> uh, with the sticky floors and the beer crates that we used to put our amps on and uh, but they're charming as well yeah just different just different in a way those just are, different right I, I was going to say the Stade de France is uh, was featured prominently on one of your albums as well. I mean, it just it just as as was your appearance in Buenos Aires uh, turned into an entire album. So you have used these stadiums as the as the bedrock for a lot of releases that that you've done as as um, uh, live albums. What do you like the most about the new album that's out now? About the new album? Yes. I mean, which song do I like the Just, most? No, generally, what, what do you like about the way that the album came together? And, and by the way, it pretty much broke YouTube when it was first released. I think on the, on the day that it was uh, um, first uh, uh, rolled out, it, it, it had some 10 million listens in a, in a very short period of time. But, but what do you like about the album? Uh, I think in, in kind of earlier times in our career, we were very closed uh as a band in terms of who was allowed to be part of the process of making and recording and uh, and being on our albums it was very much we had you know we felt we had to we, we had so much to prove we had to do it ourselves and i think something that we've explored more and more o- over the last few years is, is collaborations um and i think the the defining collaboration um, on, on the new album will be the, the song we did with BTS.
seems like the strangest thing to have done in many ways. And I think a lot of people um, might have not wanted to do. So it, it, I think in an interview, one of the BTS guys was asked, who would you most like to do a collaboration with? Uh, and they said Coldplay. Uh, and we heard about it. And I think a lot of bands might have thought it's just too weird. You know, if it's just, if there's just too much of a divide for this to, to make any sense. But I think for us, we're at a point where it's like, well, why not? Why would we, you know, what's stopping us? And um, so once that, once that principle was established, I think um, Chris came up with a song one day and he was like, well, this is, this is the perfect song for, you know, to, to see if BTS want to, to sing on. Uh, and, and, you know, then it all just kind of happened. So I think collaboration and just bridging divides and pulling people together from different and interesting places um, is something that I'm, I'm I'm very proud of us for for doing more and more as, as we move forwards with with our albums. When you think about um, where your own career goes, uh, when you think about the band and how much you've accomplished, how much more is there that you think that you can? Um, I, let me ask, how long do you want to do it? <laughs> I mean, the, the stones are well, on a tour I, right now. And, 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 and I think Mick Jagger is, is my father's age, born in 1942 or 43. Yeah. That's 80. Look, I, I, it's, I think Chris has already gone on the record saying that there's going to be only 12 Coldplay records. Um, and maybe that's true. Uh, I think fundamentally we believe that a, a story has to have a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, and it's just the nature of the end, uh, which is perhaps open for, for discussion, but we, we will always be, uh, we will always be kind of four individuals who, uh, you know, who are members of Coldplay and, you know what bands are like you know they say okay well that's it we're finished and then you know a few years later there's the reunion tour so i you know i would be foolish to say that if we ever came to an end that there wouldn't be anything which ever came after that because <laughs> history history suggests otherwise but i think we I, th I think we feel like um we need to kind of have some kind of uh a plan mapped out um in order for everything to be contextualized you know if, if we're if we're just a constant thing which is moving forward and ever present then then our body of work can't be placed or contextualized hmm. you know that can't happen until something's kind of ended and i think um if we make if we make 12 albums um i don't know how much more we're going to have to say i don't know how much more experimentation or or playing with different styles of music or working with different producers are going to i don't know if that adds to the to, you know to the the music that we've put into the world it's just kind of more and more and more and more and more so i i do i do kind of understand 
our, our line of thinking, uh, which is we, we need to kind of map this out and, and, and maybe stuff will happen in the future. Maybe we'll go out and play some shows till we're in our 70s. Um, but I think as albums go, I think, I think they need to kind of uh, come to some kind of neat uh, ending somehow. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with Coldplay band member and automotive collector and publisher, Guy Berryman. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep. Technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Now back to my interview with Coldplay band member and automotive collector and publisher, Guy Berriman, on Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. You, you mentioned bands that break up and say, well, we're not going to do it again. And I'm actually, I was reflecting on the, the time when I saw the Eagles play the Hell Freezes Over tour, which was, I think, uh, nine or ten tours ago. Um, how did you stay together? Why, why, did, why do you guys still get along? How do you get along? I think... Um, I think before we formed the band, we, 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 we'd all met each other. We were all friends. We hung out, you know, we went drinking, you know, we were, you know, we were in college in London and, uh, um, we'd formed pretty strong bonds with each other without, without any of the pressures of, of, of being in a band. Some bands are formed, um, you know, if you're a singer and you're looking for a bass player, you know, you would put an ad in, you know, it would have been back in the day, it would have been like in the Melody Maker magazine or Enemy magazine in, in Britain saying, you know, bass player wanted for punk rock uh, outfit. And so you would recruit band members to join a band without knowing what you were re really signing up for, who these people were, or if those personalities were compatible with each other. Um, so for us, I, I feel the strength of our friendship, you know, we'd formed, we'd formed a friendship group. We knew each other, uh, we kind of jammed and we played with each other in different kind of groups and scenarios without the, any, any of the pressures associated with, with being in a, a band. Um, and honestly, I think that's where it comes from. Um, we all support each other. You know, we've over the last 20 years, you know, there's been, you know, life has happened and, you know, great things have happened and terrible things have happened to us um, in different ways, individually and collectively. And of course there's hard times uh, that you have to work through, um, but we've propped each other up. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we know, we know each other inside out. You know, if, if, if somebody walks into a room, if we were, you know, if, if we're backstage and somebody walks into the room, I can tell within a split second, whether that there's the mood there, if that person needs to be left alone, <laughs> if now is the right time to discuss this certain topic or not. Um, so we, 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 we can all read each other very, very well. Yeah, like you've been married together. Plus, for... <laughs> I think we, we we all appreciate how you know how hard we've worked and how fortunate we are to have you know had the the journey and the career and the success uh, that we've had. And you know, we 
um, it, it's, you know, it would take something terrible to, um, you know, for us to kind of break it all apart. Yeah. Because I think we're all, you know, we're all so, uh, we, we know how lucky we are. We know how many bands have tried and not made it. We know how many bands who, who we've loved and over the years we've seen fall apart for one reason or another, usually money or something. It's usually money, to be honest. Or their brothers. Um, or their brothers. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, you got to feel that there's some kind of money thing going on there as well, I think. Yeah. Um, um, th that's a more complex situation, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but you know we, we you know we're music nerds you know we, we we're all massive music nerds we all consume a lot of music and and we understand the histories and the personalities behind ba bands and, and and we've we've studied and i think we've learned from everything that we've seen around us over the last you know well throughout our whole lifetimes of being people interested in music what do you listen to when you're not listening to coldplay i listen to quite a lot of jazz and soul and funk there's a new but i listen to everything you know I, I listen to lots of different genres i try and constantly learn and discover new things and that's the beauty of music you, you can never listen to it all and there's always something that you discover which you're thrilled to hear um, whether it's new or whether it's old you know sam fender you know he's a new uh, british artist who is i think just just absolutely the real deal um, you know, his album came out recently and I haven't really stopped listening to that. But then I love, there's an album, uh, there's an artist called Floating Points and, you know, he just did an amazing album with, uh, um, with Feroz Sanders and uh, the London Philharmonic Orchestra, which is just a very beautiful, instrumental, you know, almost classical uh, piece. Um, so my musical tastes are... Uh, quite unusual in in many ways um but but very very broad spanning a lot of genres we'll get back to automotive here if you could have dinner or drinks with three people past or present from the automotive world who are they and why enzo ferrari okay um you know arguably the most significant figure in in automotive so he'd be right up there. This is something I've never been asked before, so I'm having to think pretty... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking on the spot. Um, well, this is good. Be? I mean, I'm very, I'm very lucky to have had, had dinner with some, some people that are still, still around. <laughs> um, you know, Giotto Bizzarini, I was very... You know, he, he, I'm a big fan of uh, Bizzarini's work. You know, he was an engineer for... He, he was Enzo Ferrari's uh, head engineer. In, in the 60s and was responsible for de developing uh, short wheelbase and 250 GTO. And of course, he then went on to uh, develop the engine for Lamborghini. And he then started his own company, which I find a fascinating uh, story. But, you know, I've had dinner with racing drivers, uh, Derek Bell. Mm -hmm. He's he's a wonderful man. I've, I've done some uh, some concours um, jury work with, with Derek. And, he you know, he's just a you know, fantastic, uh, character. Steve McQueen would be interesting. You know, I, I'm a big, I think like most people who are into cars, Steve McQueen's an interesting, um, icon. Can I, perhaps not the perfect, perhaps not the perfect, uh, character that he's sometimes portrayed to be, but, um, 
you know, I love watching um, the, the film Le Mans that he made, which is one of the, it, it's at the same time, the greatest movie and the worst movie that, that has ever been made. <laughs> <laughs> but I just would, just as a doc just as a document of that era of racing yeah the, the, you know there's nothing else which which really captures that you know that kind of endurance racing can i suggest no. uh one name Fern, yeah. ferdinand Pieck. yes yeah he's he's also um very interesting uh character um responsible for many great cars I'd have to think about this question longer. I don't think I'm going to pluck names out yeah. of this. That's yeah, fair. Sterling Moss. Sterling Moss. I think he uh, he would be a very entertaining person uh, at a dinner table. Um, he'd talk a lot about crumpet. Do you know what? Oh, you, I know crumpet what crumpets is are. A, oh, of course. Yeah, it, T and. <laughs> yeah, but do you know how? You know, he used the word crumpet a lot in reference to uh, in, in in reference to uh, late the ladies. You know, it was a kind oh. of a British. Oh no, uh, I didn't know that. Know, so, <laughs> so kind of like uh, what would we call? We'd we'd call them babes now. You know, back in nineteen sixteen sixties, England, uh, they were referred to as crumpet by, by a certain uh, group of. I see. Uh, society. Top three cars you'd want to start the ultimate collection everyone would say the 250 gto and they wouldn't be wrong for many reasons but it's a boring answer um i've, I've got a um ford gt40 an original one a mark one skinny tires i think um would have to be in there um i mean i, I i'm very fortunate to have found years ago a, a, a ferrari 275 gtb short nose in a um, in, in, in the middle of Del Delaware in a, in a terrible state in a and, stunning uh, pine green color correct? it was yeah um, it is um, and I brought it home and restored it and I, and I think it's just you know it's probably just the most beautiful car it, for me it encapsulates everything great about 1960s automotive design um, it's a V12 it's a Ferrari it's green with orange leather um, but I'm trying to think of cars that I don't have, which which would form. Uh, oh, it's a hard question, isn't it? What are your top three? <laughs> I would go nine eleven, nine eleven, nine eleven, and I would I would. Uh... Well, come on, you can't. Uh, you, you'd, you'd, no. you'd have to broaden your horizons. Yeah, of, of course. No, I just I like you, such an enormous Porsche fan, and and um, I actually first noticed you on on Instagram in many posts that you had about Porsche and, and your passion for the brand was, it has been very obvious through the years. Um, yes. so I was quite, quite happy to see that. What's your view on electric cars? What do you think about those? Where, where will they fit into the, the future collection, um, or collector sphere and what will it mean to current internal combustion engine vehicles? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, obviously, we're all, they're coming, uh, and combustion is, a lot of is ending. Um, I think there's over a thousand new startups in China at the moment, um, all working on electric cars. So the market's, you know, there's, there's going to be plenty to choose from. Um, and look, it has to happen. It, it, it has to happen. As daily infrastructure, everything needs to be, um, everything needs to head in that direction, I think. Um, and of course, it, 
as I think as the energy density of batteries improves um, and range gets better and the weight of the cars comes down, um, interesting things will happen. Um, but um, I, I'm of a different generation and I need, you know, I like a gear shift and I like the, mm. I, you know, I, I like the, the experience of uh, the engine sound. Um, the smell of your clothes when you get out of the vehicle. Yeah. Um, so it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to really think about. Um, what does it mean for the, well, I mean, well, the internal combustion engine is coming to an end and in terms of, you know, cars, I think it's going to have to go on a little bit longer for things like buses and, uh, and trucks and um, construction vehicles, perhaps. Um, but it's an interesting moment. I think, you know, certainly in relation to the road rat, it's interesting for us because soon enough, we're going to be able to talk about stories uh, about internal combustion engine cars in, in, in a finite way. It's like they're all done. These are, these are all of the cars, you know, that were produced with internal combustion engines, and we're not going to have any more of them to talk about. So, so it's going to be interesting to contextualize you know, the whole thing in a few years time when, you know, when the last combustion engine car rolls off the production line and boy, isn't that, that's an interesting car for somebody to collect, you know, to say, this is exactly. the last ever. I wonder, I wonder what that's going to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Um, so, you know, I, I think electric cars are going to be super interesting. Um, uh, I find it hard to get, you know, excited about talking about them though, really. Um, I, a lot of people ask me, you know, manufacturers have asked me to kind of work with them on, on, on how they solve the issue of audio and the sound experience inside uh, electric cars. Hmm. Um, and the answer is, I just don't really know how to, how to approach it. Um, because it's kind of horrific to think that you might just put through the speakers the sound of an engine. You know, to make it sound <laughs> right. like an engine, or it or some kind of seem right. <laughs> or, or some kind of um, modern synthesized, you know, Jetson style retro futuristic sound. Um, I, I just don't know how to solve that. I don't know if it needs to be solved because it's just catering for people who, you know, ultimately have come from a combustion engine era. You know, there's going to be a generation of people coming through soon learning how to drive who will have never driven a, a car with an engine uh, and never will. Hmm. Um, Sounds like a good... And so what's, I think what's interesting is as, the, as the, it becomes less and less about the engine and the powertrain and all, it, you end up making these cars essentially from off-the-shelf motors and uh, plug-and-play parts. So I think what's interesting is, well, how do you differentiate one car from another? So I do think we're going to enter... a uh, a new era where styling actually is the main thing which differentiates one car brand from another car brand. And so I'm excited to see how, how that moves. Takes us right I'm excited back. to see what, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see the Apple, you know, when project Titan is, if it ever comes to light, I'm, I'm so curious to know it, it, where they've taken it you know have they really have they ripped up the rule book and come up with something completely new or is it just going to look a little bit like a tesla yeah i don't know i don't know where it's going um 
autonomous cars, forget it. I don't think they're ever going to happen. I think that's just, um, I, I think that's a pipe dream. I can't, I just don't see how it can work. Uh, I don't, I don't know how, how you get around the liability issue if one of them crashes or kills somebody or, um, I, I just don't, would you put your kid in a, in an autonomous car and say, okay, you're, you're good. It's going to take you two hours to get to the city and I'll call you when you get to the other end. I wouldn't do it. No. And my, I wouldn't care how safe somebody tells me it is. It's kind of, it, it terrifies me. And one of my kids just wants to drive a six-speed manual Subaru WRX anyway. That's a pretty cool choice. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Final thing for you as you embark on a, on a global tour, as you get back to stages again for the first time in four or five years, unbelievably. What are you most excited about? Um, it's going to be great to just be in that space full of people singing our songs you know with us because i think you know our shows are really all about you know sometimes bands who play shows are very much the band at one end and the crowd are kind of on the other end and i think what what we've we've always tried to do is make everyone who comes to our show feel a part of the show and of course we have different stages you know we have the main stage and we have these smaller satellite stages so we can go up in amongst the crowds and um and it's, it feels like it's been such a long time since we were in that environment with our fans and playing music together in that kind of uh, environment and just traveling and seeing different places. I mean, I have started to travel a little bit now over the last few months. Um, but I've really, you know, I have a lot of friends and, you know, different countries and different cities who I haven't seen for a very long time now. So that's going to be one of the benefits of starting to move around a little bit more as well so it's 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 all about it's it's all about people really just kind of you know we've all we've all lived such separate lives throughout the pandemic and in isolation and, and various to various degrees and uh i'm just looking forward to uh getting everyone together again one of your first shows that i saw uh, one of the first shows that i saw of you was at one of those sheds in uh, Detroit, Michigan, just outside of uh, Detroit, uh, with an amphitheater with about 15,000 people, a place called Pine Knob. And uh, you, you brought out these yellow, bouncy, uh, <laughs> magnetized balloons that popped yeah. around the audience during yellow, I believe. Yeah. And they all got sucked out on one side when the song ended. I'd never seen anything like it. And I've seen fireworks go off and places like Switzerland uh, on top of stadiums and are there going to be cool elements that we're going to be uh, seeing on this oh, tour? Oh, for sure. I, I think one of the, um, one of the things I'm most proud of is we developed our, these wristbands that everybody wears when they come to yeah, our that's show. Right. Yeah, that too. And, and they're all controlled from a, um, a, a, a you know, like the lighting, uh, you know, we control the wristbands, the colors, the rate at which they flash and, um, you know, we really developed that and, it, you know, for our stadium tour, um, several tours ago, and, um, it's still, it's, it's going to be hard to beat that. It's going to be hard to beat that idea, you know, of seeing the whole stadium, essentially everybody's wrist is flashing. Um, but we've got some new ideas. Yeah. Um, 
and you know i think every time we go out and create a show it has to kind of be a step forward from from the last one and so i'm pretty excited that um people are going to like this one too we're excited to see you guy berryman thank you so much for your time thanks for sharing your thoughts on the road rat which can be subscribed to on the website as well as your clothing line what's the best way to find out about the clothing line probably your instagram account perhaps or yeah or, or applied, uh, art, applied forms. art forms is the name and yep. that we have an instagram account for that and, and and the web shop too and we all know where to find you on coldplay.com so absolutely <laughs> thank you very much guy i appreciate thank you being you on so cars much. and culture thanks to guy berryman coldplay's bassist and an automotive collector and publisher and thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow Cars and Culture on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM, as well as on Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit, and we'll see you down the road.